0: All right, gang, it is Tuesday, which means it is time to sort of draw our attention away from, oh, you know, so many of the things that have had our attention for the last number of moments and focus our attention on what God's word says, uh, says to us this morning. And to do that, we're going to look at the last of David's Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145. A couple interesting uh, facts about this psalm. Um, first of all, you should know that something comes through in Hebrew that we really can't see in English when we look at this psalm, and that is that uh, that every verse in this psalm actually begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's known as an acrostic psalm, and there's a good reason for that. I mean, it starts with the first letter, ends with the last letter, The reason for that, as we are going to see, is that David wants to use sort of every uh, bit of vocabulary he can to express the goodness and greatness of God. And so it is as if we were to sit down and write a sentence extolling God's goodness from A to Z. Uh, That's what David is doing here. And you're going to see that as a recurring theme uh, throughout uh, this psalm you're also going to hear, uh, besides extolling the greatness of God, you're also going to hear the word all a lot. And I think that's important because, uh, again, even in the Old Testament, when so often God was mistaken for merely being the king of the Jews, or Israel's king, the Psalms and so much of the Old Testament, and really from the beginning it was always this, it was just, you know, a mistaken interpretation, From the beginning, God was presented not merely as the king of one nomadic people group, but as the king and provider for all, as the Lord of heaven and earth, ruler and sovereign king of all peoples. And so with that, by way of a little introduction, why don't we just get into the psalm? David writes, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Well, right from the get go, you can see David is wanting to use the uh, sort of uh, the, the biggest sorts of words he can to describe uh, how much he wants to praise God forever and ever, he says repeatedly. And then at the end, Uh, of this first stanza. At the end of verse 3, he says that his greatness, God's greatness, is unsearchable. Now, I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul's words after he has just gone into this sort of masterful section on God's election and predestination and his sovereign purposes over the the wills of mankind in Romans 9 through 11, where he concludes by basically saying the same thing, that That even as he's discussing these issues, how great God is in contrast to human beings, at the end of it, he says, essentially, he's so great that we can't even begin to fathom or understand his ways. The words he uses there are things like he's inscrutable and here it's his greatness is unsearchable. And so, right from the get-go, we have a tone set for us as human beings coming into the presence of God. We acknowledge His greatness, and in contrast, we also acknowledge that we are not able to fathom all of His ways and why He does what He does. It is always great to start from a place of humility when it comes to us talking about the Divine and the Holy. We ought not speak flippantly as though we know the paths that are laid out for us or know what God is always up to. We know the end of the story and we know the end of the story for us is good news that we will end up indeed in a kingdom where we'll praise him forever and ever. And yet the ways in which all of those things will transpire in our life as saved children of God through faith in Jesus Christ well they're somewhat unsearchable to us we can't we can't know all of his ways and we acknowledge that up front David goes on in verse 4 one generation shall excuse me commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts Now, remember in the nation of Israel, you have from the very beginning parents instructed, especially fathers instructed to constantly be teaching their children about God's mighty acts, about God's work on his people's behalf. So you have them instructed to put the commandments of God and the works of God displayed on the doorways of their homes so that the idea is that every time they go in or out, they're being reminded of who's watching over them and who is taking care of them. Now, what kinds of mighty acts were the people of Israel discussing well throughout their history? And you see this a lot in, their, in the Psalms. Well, of course, you're, you're talking about the events of uh, their battle against Egypt and against Pharaoh in which God brought down plagues against uh, God's people's enemies. You're talking about the Passover. You're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. You're talking about their deliverance in the wilderness and his provision for them. And ultimately, for us today, we're talking about the works of his son, Jesus Christ, uh, for whom all of those events in the Old Testament are ultimately pointing to. He is our Passover lamb. He is our bread in the wilderness. He is our, uh, the one that we are baptized into in the Red Sea. He is the one that is guiding us. He is the water from the rock in the desert, et cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera. So all of these things are ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ. And the way that this message gets conveyed is first by us telling one generation to another exactly what God has done for us. It happens that way. David continues, verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, how good it is for us to get out of our own heads, to get out of our news feeds, to get out of, uh, <clears throat> of media world for, for just a little bit. And I would even say for a lot bit, as David talks about here, to meditate on the awesome deeds of God. In other words, to go back to the scriptures if you're ever sort of doubting god's purposes for your life or wondering what god is up to don't look here or there don't look in here definitely don't don't do that i mean you're going to find all sorts of ups and downs teeter totter emotions roller coaster emotions look to the scriptures where god has objectively laid out all of his wondrous and mighty works done for you in the person and work of jesus christ ultimately meditate on those things and then declare his greatness whether gathered in the assembly of his people or whether in the privacy of your own home declare his greatness so david continues why is god so good to his people is it because his people are worthy is it because his people have done enough to earn his favor no None of these awesome deeds were ever done because God's people were worthy enough. He makes that abundantly clear as he even addresses Israel. I mean, he's kind of harsh about it. He's like, listen, I did this for me. Um, I saved you for me. Uh, You didn't do anything to deserve this. As a matter of fact, you're going to do a lot of things that should make you disqualified from deserving my grace and mercy. But because that's my character, that's why I did it. So what does David say? Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made folks that is where I'm banking my hope Uh, as I look at my life and I look at the lives of most people to describe human beings as slow to anger is not something that is very accurate for a lot of us We're all too prone to flying off the handle. We're all too prone to giving in to temper tantrums. We're all too prone to giving in to our emotions. But how is God described? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Why? Because He's gracious and merciful. And He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to you this morning. No matter what you woke up with regretting in your mind, no matter what sorts of burdens you're carrying, the word for you today and the reason that you can declare the awesome and mighty works of god is because to you proven in the work and person of jesus christ the lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love if he's good to all and well all is an all encompassing word that means you're a part of it now interestingly enough i love this juxtaposition this phrase originally sort of coined in exodus when uh god is describing himself through the pen of moses that the lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger is also used by jonah to indict god in jonah chapter 4 as he explains why he was running from the purposes of god to preach to the people of nineveh he says i didn't want to go there because basically i knew you would save them And why he quotes these words, I knew you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah goes, I didn't like that. I didn't like the idea of you extending that kind of thing to the people I don't like. And here's the deal, Christian. This is true for us too. God is not just in the business of extolling or extending grace and mercy to us. But look at what it says. He is good to all and has mercy over all that he has made, even really, really bad folks like the Ninevites that had done such terrible things to the people of Israel. Yes, if we're going to extol the grace and mercy of God for us, we extol the grace and mercy of God for them and for the people that we're maybe uncomfortable with it going to. That's the way this gig works, and I'm thankful for it because that means there's hope for all of us. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Notice how much David uses all throughout the passage. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations all 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 God is not merely the God of one person or one group God is the God of all and is extending grace and mercy to all in the person and work of Jesus Christ when Jesus went up on the cross he died for all for God so loved the world all that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. I love the imagery of God raising up those who are falling. There's there's lots of ways that I think we can think of falling, right? I mean, we can think of of some simply just stumbling as you're walking around and and the idea being that god is catching us before harm comes our way it could be that we've actually already fallen and we've just done a face plant and yet god is there to faithfully pick us up and carry us home i i can't help but think about how many times something like this has happened with my three boys i mean they're older now and most of the time that doesn't happen uh, but, uh, a few weeks ago, my youngest son, uh, uh, Lincoln, who's eight was riding his bike and, uh, and he fell and ate it pretty hard. And, and I could see that, that he, he was really, really trying to hold in the tears. He's really, really trying not to cry. He's trying to be a tough guy. And immediately I went over to him and I picked him up and I he said, you okay. And as soon as I did, then he felt the comfort as I was holding him to start to release at least a couple tears. And we got him bandaged bandaged up and took care of him the lord the great sovereign of the universe that david extols here the king of kings the lord of wars how does he present himself like like a, a father who's picking up his child that's fallen how often do we fall in in word and deed in thought every day every single day you might say god is in the business of upholding those who are falling all the time because that seems to be so much of all the time what we do we're constantly falling god is in the business of picking up his children all the time and raising up all who are bowed down the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season you open your hand you satisfy the desire of every living thing this is a really great example this verse here verses 15 and 16 of god's what some theologians might refer to as god's common grace the idea that whether you're fleeing from him or whether you're seeking him whatever your position might be whether you're just mere creature or whether you are human beings created in his image The Lord is always the one responsible for providing all that we need. He talks about himself this way throughout the scriptures, maybe most famously when Jesus talks about uh, the sparrows and not one of them falling to the ground apart from God saying that it's okay for that to happen, that he provides food for all and satisfies the desire of every living thing. These words, by the way, were part of Luther's table prayer. You can find it uh, in his writings. And uh, many Lutherans throughout church history have used these words as their opening prayer when they go to eat. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. I think sometimes the way righteousness is presented is almost opposite of kindness or at least sometimes the way we think about it justice and kindness we sort of ju- think of justice as stern and harsh and unloving unfeeling but we ought not think of it that way david does not see a distinction that these things are both true of god at one and the same time he is righteous and yet he, and he is kind he is. what is it that leads us to repentance the apostle paul says in romans the kindness of God, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. How good is this news for you today? The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. It's one thing for God to be near us who are calling on him, but I think it's even greater that we call on him in truth and he's near to us because the truth about us often isn't very pretty and yet what does he do god is not the god who blinks god is not the god who gets disgusted and offended and backs away god is not the god with awkward body language when we come to him with the worst of what we've got as a matter of fact god is the one who rushes in nearer to us when we confess our sins and go boldly to the throne of his grace over and over and over again. This is the way God is presented throughout the scriptures. Our sinful nature, our flesh, the enemy whispering in our ear makes us believe that he's the opposite. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. You come to God with your honest truth, with your honest sins, with your honest failures. And the scriptures promise he doesn't move away. He gets nearer to you why because again you have one interceding on your behalf always at the right hand of god the father jesus christ and therefore you are seen as his child and he will not let his child walk alone verse 19 he fulfills the desires of those who fear him he also hears their cry and saved them. Lately we've been uh, as we' gathered on Tuesday mornings, and I also do a devotion on Friday, there's been a lot of lament psalms. Uh, and and rightfully so, appropriately so. I, I don't think that uh, it's healthy for the church to ignore these realities of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, my greatest criticism of most praise and worship songs, and especially of contemporary Christian music radio stations, is that there's little to no room for lament, for anger, for crying out, for seeking justice where there seems to be none. It's a big blind spot, and I get why. I mean, who wants to turn on the radio and hear weeping and gnashing of teeth? But it's real. It's a part of who we are and our experience in this life. David says, God hears their cry and saves them. Indeed, God is listening to the cries for justice today, the cries for salvation today, for this world to be renewed. He hears those too. As he lifts up those who have fallen, he does so because he hears their cries to be lifted up. The Lord preserves all who love him. The word preserves there might be a little misleading. In Hebrew, it's more like watches over because the idea of preserving can sort of maybe give the sense of, you know, life's going to be easy. I don't think it's entailing that. We could read it preserving as in he holds on to us and he's not going to let us go. That's fine. But I like the idea of watching over us. He's he's he, he sees it all. And he's not going to let us stray, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so finally, it's interesting, I mean, David spends literally, uh, you know, 20 and a half verses or 19 and a half verses extolling God's mercy to all, God's love and steadfast care for all, his mercy and grace to all, 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 all. And yet, at the very end, he will acknowledge, but there will be a day, there will be a day when those who refuse the mercy and grace of God and all that he has done for them, well, There will be a day where those who have decided that their path is going to be the path of injustice and that they don't need to repent and that they don't need the finished work of Jesus Christ for themselves, there will be a day in which God will say, okay, enough is enough. Enough is enough. But listen to the first 19 and a half verses, people. It is abundantly clear that is not his... that's not what he wants. He presents himself as the God who's constantly stretching out his hand to a stiff-necked and obstinate people because God is in the business of saving sinners and he's still doing it today. And so, David concludes, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And we know that indeed that will happen as we're promised in the book of Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, God, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is ultimately the day we're looking forward to because in that day, we know that all the wrongs will be righted and all the injustices will be made fair. Until that day, we wait with eager anticipation, praising the Lord for his grace and mercy to us, for him being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. All right, folks, that is it for this morning's devotion. I hope that's encouraging to you. May your Tuesday be richly blessed, and we'll see you uh, next week.